Hello, hello, hello. I'm Jan Goldstein, and this is All That Matters. I spoke last week about grief and loss and the price we pay for love. This is part two of that discussion. I hope that you will have an opportunity to think more about last week's podcast than this week's because it is so crucial a part of life. These are reflections taking place at the loss of Queen Elizabeth II and in the midst of a worldwide mourning period for her. But surely each and every one of you, as you have loved someone or someones in your life, have experienced loss, which brings with it grief. And it is part of life. And since this podcast does deal with all that matters, death matters, loss matters, grief matters. For they inform the heart. As Helen Keller said, the best and most beautiful things in the world cannot be seen or even touched. They must be felt with the heart, and surely that is where loss and grief reside in the heart. And it is important for us to look at them, to examine them, to explore them. Because if and when we do, we inform our own souls, we inform our own ability to drink deep from life, knowing that there is loss that goes along with it. I told you a story about an elderly woman who was part of a home for the aged where I used to serve in an internship in which I would counsel and help lead them through life celebrations early on in my career. And how this one woman who was my favorite the one who always sat in the front row, the one who always polished the cup that we used to toast the week, that just found joy in our songs and in our stories, went missing one weekend from the activity I was leading. And it was not like her not to be there, but I chalked it up to the fact that There was, on occasion, those who would stay in their rooms and perhaps were under the weather. I did ask about her, and they said they believed uh, she was just resting in her room. So as I walked home, because my house uh, there, this was in Cincinnati, uh, was not too far. It was a couple miles, I remember, and I remember I liked the walk. Um, and as I was walking home, I, as I explained to you last week, I saw a car rushing, kind of speeding down the road coming towards me and suddenly noticed a figure in between me and that car who was staring down at the road and then pushed off from the curb and fell into the road, literally trying to get hit by that car. And as I raced for that figure, the car managed to just stop by inches and 
I pulled the woman out from underneath and she looked at me and it was this woman, Ruby, who was my favorite of the group at that home for the age of the, the woman always filled with joy and she had tried to take her life and she did not have dementia. She could talk to you very lucidly, had always been rational and she had tried to take her life, was shocked that I found her. When I would visit her after that, I tried to talk to her about life and she didn't want to talk about that. I tried to cheer her up. She did not want to be cheered up. And she indeed eventually asked me not to come back. Later, going through that with the psychologist, the psychologist told me, you wanted to talk about life. What did she want to talk about? And it was only then that I realized she wanted to talk about death, that she was ready to go. And it taught me this huge lesson. I I had failed her, obviously. But even in our failures, we learn things. Even in our grief and loss, we learn things. And I had learned if you want to help others, you have to talk to them where they are, not where you want them to be. And perhaps there's someone in your life right now who we're not talking to them, we're not getting them, we're not connecting with them because we're trying to talk to them where we want, according to our agenda, where we want to be, where we want them to be or where we wish they could be. Oftentimes, parents will talk to their children that way. They will always talk in terms of the parents' desires, not the child's. We do that in relationships. We do that sometimes with ourselves, talking to to us and not recognizing what the true, what our souls are saying, what our hearts are saying, what our minds are saying looking right past the truth that's right in front of our eyes. And I raise this question again of how do we speak to people of death? In my case, I needed to speak to her about why she was prepared to die, why she was done. And that is a whole other area I recognize, but it really was a lesson about learning to talk to someone where they were at, at least if I want to help them, I have to hear them. I have to listen. And if we care to help our people we love, uh, be they family or friends or strangers who have experienced grief and loss, if we want to deal with it, we have to listen. In dealing with the grief and loss of the passing of the queen, the new king talked about the grief his family is going through. And then embrace the entire world and recognize how many people were affected by the loss of the queen. But for him, it was, for Charles, it's it's his mother. Oftentimes we go when somebody has lost a mother or lost a father or lost someone dear to them and we don't know what to say. Have you found yourself in that position? What do I say? I don't know what to do. So what do we do? We kind of go to our, you know, de facto um, position of making small talk. Oh, we'll talk about the weather. Or we'll talk about a, a team. We'll talk about a movie. We'll talk about nature. We'll talk about some insignificant 
in 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 the scheme of things other event instead of talking about what we ought to be talking about which is the loss of this person and oftentimes all that is needed is to listen or to say how that person was cared for or how much that person meant to you speak truth in loss and in grief it um it is a powerful uh, thing to lose someone. And when Toni Morrison lost someone dear to her, she said, quote, people speak to me about my son. Oh, I'm so sorry for you. But no one says I loved him so much. I was busy in grief, which I don't expect to stop suddenly realizing that the last thing my son would want was for me to be very self-involved and narcissistic and self-stroking. It stopped me from writing, which doesn't mean you stop feeling the absence. It was being willing to think about it in a way that was not self-serving. And that's how she dealt with personal loss, suddenly realizing We can become so self-involved in our grief and our loss. And we don't recognize that the feeling of absence will be there. But to think about loss in a way that is not self-serving. And that is true when we make small talk with mourners. We are being self-serving. We're trying to make ourselves, extricate ourselves from a difficult situation when all that is called for to open our ears and to say the simple truths. This person meant something to me. Not just I'm so sorry for you, but to recognize that loss. Eric Fromm said, to spare oneself from grief at all costs can be achieved only at the price of total detachment, which excludes the ability to experience happiness. If we exclude exclude ourselves from grief and loss we exclude the experience of happiness we shut ourselves off uh, off from it and haruki murakami said every one of us is losing something precious to us lost opportunities lost possibilities feelings we can never get back again that's part of what it means to be alive that's part of what it means to be alive to lose. Yes, to gain. But the experience of the loss informs our heart, as I say, informs our soul, informs our happiness. Remember the quote, the happiness now is part of the pain then. If we are happy now, yes, eventually all things die. Things are going to be lost. People are no longer going to be present, at least in in physical sense. And that informs the joy we have with them now, taking joy in the present moment. Alice Walker actually said, there's a point at which even grief feels absurd. And at that point, laughter gushes up to retrieve sanity. I remember when I went through a divorce, and I felt, oh my God, it's like a death. I experienced it as a death. 
And I remember my therapist telling me, yes, you will smile again. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine it. Yes, you will smile again. And those of us who go through grief and loss, yes, it's important for someone who has gone through it to tell you, yes, you will smile again. You will laugh. You will get to a point where that grief, yes, is knit into your heart, but it's alongside the joy, and it turns also often into gratitude. Oh, God, I'm happy that person was here. Yes. What we once enjoyed and deeply loved, we can never lose, Helen Keller said. For all that we love deeply becomes a part of us. Yes, that's the way my mother explained heaven or life after death to me. She said, we knit ourselves into other people's hearts while we're alive. And then when we're no longer here physically, we're still there in their hearts. And that is how I often deal with grief or loss. I know they're still alive inside my heart because I remember them. Rumi says that grief can be the garden of compassion. If you keep your heart open through everything, your pain can become your greatest ally in your love's in your life's search for love and wisdom. Your pain can become your greatest ally in your life's search for love and wisdom, says Rumi. And we do acquire more love and more wisdom in experiencing the pain of loss. Dr. Seuss put it this way, don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened. Well, that smile can be difficult at times, but the sensibility behind that statement is clear. To find a place eventually as we go through grief and loss, to where the smile returns. The the sense of gratitude that this person was part of my life. Oh, I give thanks for that. The Brock Band U2 wrote in Until the End of the World, they have a quote, In my dream I was drowning by my sorrows, but my sorrows they'd learned to swim. Sorrows learn to swim. You know, I've always been drawn to people who have suffered, who have gone through something in life. You know why? Not only because I feel compassion for them and feel a connection to them, but I know they also have something to teach me because they've been through something. Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross says, The most beautiful people we have known are those who have known defeat, known suffering, known struggle, known loss, and have found their way out of the depths. These persons have an appreciation, a sensitivity, and an understanding of life that fills them with compassion, gentleness, and a deep loving concern. Beautiful people do not just happen. Beautiful people do not just happen. They are made not only by life's love and life's joys, but by its grief, by its losses, by its defeats. If we will embrace that, if we will listen a little more, 
we will learn even more about loving. Beautiful people do not just happen. You don't just happen. You are growing. Celebrate that about yourself this week. And until next week, I'm Jan Goldstein. And this is all that matters. Thank you.